Welcome to the Breaking Atoms podcast, where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Chris Mitchell, and my usual AKA is the professional pessimist, but that's not my AKA today. I am actually laid up on my sofa. I don't know what I've done. Um, I was on a Zoom call yesterday. I was talking about some some pretty heavy stuff, actually, um, that I can't go into detail right now, but, you know, it was, it was a corporate engagement. Um, I was sharing some experiences and my story about being a black man in a corporate world. It went really well. Then when the call was ended, um, I got up from my chair and I just felt my knee give way. Like, um, I don't know what's going on here. I just felt a sharp pain through my knee uh, and I had to sit down. So I've been on crutches ever since. Um, and this podcast is actually coming to you live and direct from my sofa. So there's not going to be any fancy theme music today. No mixing, no mastering. This is literally... 1,000 grams of uncut to the gut, in the words of the great Biggie Smalls. There's a few things I need to get off my chest, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Today's episode is called Why I Hate Hip Hop Twitter. I repeat, Why I Hate Hip Hop Twitter. There's about seven points I want to go through. I know I'm going to offend some people. I know I'm going to upset some people. But it's very likely you won't come to me about it. What you're going to do is you're going to jump on the timeline, moan and complain, but you're not really going to do anything about it. That's why I'm not scared to say what I want to say. Okay, first of all, the first thing I hate about hip hop Twitter is anonymity. Who are these people? That's the question. Like, who are these people? I get followed by so many of these quote unquote hip-hop Twitter accounts, and when I'm looking at the profiles, just, you know, check, see what they're tweeting about, which is usually some random hip-hop take, but just to kind of check out the the digital footprint and see what they're about, see if I can connect the dots, check out the credentials, and, you know, get a general idea of what qualifies them to speak about hip-hop music. Um, As elitist as that might sound, if you started listening to hip-hop music like two weeks ago, you really have no right to be on the timeline telling people about what they should be listening to because you've missed so much. You, you, need, to, you need to do your catching up before you tell people keep up, all right? So I want to know who are the people on these accounts because a lot of these profile pictures are like random cartoon characters or it's just something so random. It's everything apart from what that person might actually look like. It's crazy. Also, a tip. If you get followed by a hip-hop Twitter account and the profile picture is of their favourite rapper and whoever they'll be arguing about forever, that's a red flag. Stay away from those people. Anyway, people tell me hip-hop Twitter is a community, okay? I ask the question, how are we going to create and function as a community if we don't know who each other is? Ask yourself, if we're going to build a community, if I'm going to know your likes, your your dislikes, um, you know, just, you know, the way you talk, just the certain things that make you the person who you are. We talk about being a community and hip-hop Twitter is a community and it's a platform, but I don't know who you are. I can't even find Facebook profiles. There's, 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 there's very few articles. You don't write anything. You just come on the timeline and you just want to, you want to use the, use your, um, your, your quote unquote, your platform to be a pulpit and just want to start talking to everyone. Like it's annoying, man. I want to see some real faces. I want to see some real people. I want to know who I'm talking to. I want to get an idea. You know, I don't need to know your all your business, but, you know, someone like myself, 
it's not going to be hard to find out. You know what I'm about. You know, you know where I grew up. You know what I'm into. You know what I'm not into. Like if you were to meet me, you'd have a pretty good idea of what I am and who I am. So yeah, anonymity, man. Get rid of the anonymity. There's no need to hide, man. Tweet with your chest and just stop or stop all this, um, you know, responding to people passive aggressively using memes and gifts. Like now is the time for words, isn't it? I ain't got time for that. But anonymity, show your face, man. Um, I want to see what you look like. I want I want to know that I'm speaking to a real person. Secondly, absolutes. In the film Star Wars episode three, I think it was called Revenge of Revenge of the Sith, right? Obi Wan Kenobi. He says to Anakin, "Only a Sith deals in absolutes, and I will do what I must." Hip hop Twitter seems to deal only in absolutes. What do I mean? Everything is either classic or underrated. It's like two extremes all the time. There is no in-between. It's just absolutes. Just because you like an album doesn't make it a classic, okay? There are albums that I love. When I say love, I'm talking there are albums that if I were to go to a desert island or, you know, be on some Tom Hanks castaway, just me and Wilson, there are albums that I would take with me. Um, albums that come to mind. Many Faces by Tracy Lee. If you listen to the previous episode, I spoke to my man Kill. Big up to Kill. Um, and we got talking about Tracy Lee because they have a personal relationship. And I told him, you heard me fan out about how much I love Many Faces by Tracy Lee. Now, is Many Faces a classic album? I'm going to go on record and say I don't think it's a classic album as much as I love it. I think it's got some classic songs, in my opinion, Keep Your Hands High with, with Biggie. I think it's a classic song, but it's not a classic album just because I love it. Another album I love, um, what's the Rick Ross album? What's the Rick Ross album? Um, God Forgives, I Don't. Love that album. It's not a classic, though. It's not a classic. And yes, and yes, and yes. I know music is subjective. I am not a, um, I'm not an authority, man. Like, you know, I know, I know a bit, but I don't know everything. I'm not an authority. and I'm not here to tell you that your opinion on classic albums is wrong. What I'm just saying to you is just to use your filter a bit, right? But again, on hip hop Twitter, there is no such thing as a filter because everything you like is a classic. Um, and just because you think people don't talk about an album enough doesn't make it underrated okay i think we really need to look at what the word underrated means right it doesn't make it underrated a lot of the products or the um the albums that we think are underrated artists albums whatever you know somewhere someone is talking about those albums like i've had people come to my house sit in my living room right and we'll be talking about i remember um at one birthday party it was me Shout out to Jukebox, shout out to Skillet, shout out to Kaiser. We had an argument, like, not an argument, but, you know, when, when black people get together, it sounds like an argument. But anyway, we were having a debate about the Anarchy album by Busta Rhymes. Oftentimes I hear people say, oh, you know, Busta Rhymes doesn't get mentioned enough. I've had people come to my house and talk about Busta Rhymes in depth. We had an hour debate about Jules and if Jules was better than Word Life. But again, I want to drive home the point. Just because you think people don't talk about an album enough doesn't make it underrated we have cult classics and you know i don't care where you go on god's green earth or in any corner of the internet someone somewhere is talking about the album you think people don't talk about enough and again how do you gauge enough these are the questions like what is enough 
How many people need to be speaking about an album for you to, to for you to be happy with the amount that is being talked about? Anyway, point number three, one gotta go. Okay, this is otherwise known as uh, pick one or yo pick from this list of legends and this list of classic albums. Stop it. Why do we need to do this? It's such. Oh, I mean, look. What what is it? What does it achieve? People want you to pick one. One's got to go. Like, what information are you getting from this? Like, what are you using it for? Who are you? Like, why are you doing this? Like, it, it's it's one of those things where when I see these things, it makes me just think, you're not even really interested or entertained by what people's thoughts and opinions are about the very question you're asking, or in, in this case, the instruction you're giving. You just care about engagement. That's all you care about. Likes, tweets, retweets, all you care about is engagement, okay? There was a time very early on in the quarantine where, you know, he had people asking some really cool questions. Um, I'll, give, I'll give them that. Um, it was fun for a time, but then it started to get crazy. Like, you had people saying, what's your favourite third track from your fourth favourite rapper's eighth album? It's like enough, like enough. Like if you have to think so hard to give an answer, maybe you shouldn't be asking it on the timeline. And let's be honest, some of you do this whole pick one, one got to go thing just to rile, rile people up. You know, next time I see someone say, you know, one got to go, I'll be like, nah, I'll go. Okay. Number four, hot takes. You're going to get burned with your own hot take if you are not careful. All right. Some of your hot takes are so wild, yeah, they border on stupid or unbelievable. I'm going to read some of the hot takes I've seen just in the past week alone. And I'm not going to say names. I'm not going to say who wrote these tweets because I'm, you know, I'm not in the business of embarrassing people. That's not what I'm here for. But I've got to get some things off my chest, okay? I saw someone write on, the, on God's internet on the timeline, yeah? My rank of Jay-Z's best songs. At number five, Dirt Off Your Shoulder. I like that song, okay? Number four, Forever Young. Um, okay. Number three, Renegade. Number two, Holy Grail. Number one, Hard Knock Life. Now, I like Hard Knock Life, but listen, you can go and speak to any, any day one, day two, Jay-Z fan. I must say, I've seen Jay-Z live and I understand that he's got a very large audience, but it's also very segmented because when I went to see him perform, when he started doing on to the next one, like I was just in my seat like, nah, I'm not here for this. But when he did Dead Presidents, I was the only one. It, I, I felt like I was the only one who knew the words to the song. And I had people looking at me like, this guy's crazy. And that's when I realized, yeah, his audience is very segmented. But look, your list is subjective. But if you ask the real Jay-Z heads, why is Forever Young at number four? You what? Holy grail. At number two. Like, how old is this person? 13. Another hot take I saw on the timeline this week. Um, Again, I'm not going to say who it is. Hot take. Yeah? You actually wrote that in the tweet. Hot take. 444 is the best title track, Oat. And that's when I realised that Oat means it's an abbreviation of, of, of all time. Again, um, you know, it's subjective. It's music. But there's no way you're going to tell me that 444 is better than Ready to Die, 
Resurrection. What are the other title tracks? Um, oh, you know, Jewels, for example. I know we mentioned that. When Disaster Strikes. Come on, man. Like, what, like, what are you doing? Like, the question is, why are you writing this stuff? And then when people challenge you on it, you say it's a joke. No, it's not a joke. You've done it to rile people up. And I know I sound really riled up right now, but I'm passionate about this stuff. It's really getting on my nerves. Here's the best hot take I've seen over the course of the last week. Now, this one is so nuts, yeah? It's so nuts. I had to leave my office, yeah? Or, you know, my makeshift office, which is basically my kitchen table. And I had to go outside. This person says, (sighs) Earl Sweatshirt, and I love Earl Sweatshirt. Earl Sweatshirt is dope, yeah? He says, Earl Sweatshirt is a better So, Earl Sweatshirt is better as an individual producer and is more innovative with his beats. Okay, he's very innovative. Yeah, that's fine. That part is cool. Some rap songs, which is Earl Sweatshirt's last album, is much better produced. Now, this is the killer. Much better produced than every Dr. Dre album. I'll say that again. Some rap songs is much better produced than every Dr. Dre album. And he produced East, which is the best song out of all time. Are you on drugs? Are you on drugs? Like, are you on crack? As dope, as dope as Earl Sweatshirt is to say that one album is better than every album Dr. Dre has produced. Listen. If we just run through the list of Dr. Dre's achievements, right? I don't even want to like, you know, I believe in animal rights, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse. But, straight out of Compton, Niggas for Life, The Chronic, The Chronic, Doggy Style, Tracks on Tupac, um, All Eyes on Me, um, Murder Was the Case soundtrack, um... You know, give credit where it's due. Um, songs on the on the Slim Shady LP. Um, executive produced the Marshall Mathers uh, LP. Um, untold stuff for other people. 50 Cent, The Game. Instrumental in, in Kendrick Lamar's career. Also very instrumental in um, Anderson Pack's career. You know, whether he came on later on, that's cool. But he's still very influential. Listen, Dr. Dre, yeah? Dr. Andre Young has produced genre-defining music for nearly 30 years. Let that sink in, okay? There's there's certain albums, right? If you remove them from the culture, from the music, right? The music don't sound the same. Those albums I listed, some of them, you know, Straight Outta Compton, The Chronic, Doggy Style, um, Get Rich or Die Trying, These are classic albums, like in the canonical sense. And what do I mean by that? These are the albums that that, that the genre is... is, These are pillars of the genre, man. Like, imagine hip-hop without the chronic. Were you outside when Doggy Style came out? How can you come on God's internet? There's that term again. God's internet and talk about Earl Sweatshirt... Um, some rap song is better than every album Dr. Dre has ever produced. Why do you want attention so bad to write something like that? 
you know, music is subjective, but the facts are the facts, yeah? You can have your own opinions and you can have your own facts. As talented as Earl Sweatshirt is, some, al- some rap songs is not better than every album Dre has produced. Stop it, okay? Just stop it. Number five on my list of reasons why I hate hip-hop Twitter. I'm sorry if I keep raising my voice. Look, I'm black, in it? Like, I'm passionate. Um, this is how we talk in the barbershop. But I understand that's a place where many of you hip-hop Twitter folks have never been and you would not survive. Anyway, silly rules, okay? On hip-hop Twitter, we tend to put rules where there aren't any. Now, I know in hip-hop culture, there are certain unwritten rules um, that we observe. You know, no biting. Um, you don't sample snitch. You don't tell people the records you've used. I get all of that, yeah? Those are certain rules, and I still observe those rules, and I still pay attention to them. But my thing is, a genre or a culture that is so hinged on creativity... Some of you hip-hop Twitter fans are so rigid in your opinions. It's like you've got this invisible list on the wall, and it's like a checklist of things that people need to do before you award it as a, as a classic or whatever. What do I mean? I remember one morning, I was on the timeline. Um, and the and the topic of classic albums came up. Again, I'm not going to say who it is because I'm not in the business of embarrassing people, believe it or not. This person said, okay, that in order for an album to be classic, he had a list of criteria, and it was written in a notes app as well. Like, So this is how I know he proper believed what he was saying, yeah? He actually wrote it in the notes app, and the speed in which he posted it, that said to me, that's been in your iCloud for a minute, all right? So in his notes app, he had... Um, uh, for an album to be called a classic, you have to wait at least five years. You what? I repeat, he said, you have to wait at least five years. Now, I'm going to challenge that notion, yeah? First of all, that notion is foolishness, yeah? I remember clearly shortly after Marsberg by Rock Marciano was released, people were coming up to me yeah, my friends, and they were writing on the timeline and telling me in person, this album is a classic. This album is a classic. I had numerous people tell me that. Turns out that there were people who had um, heard the album prior to release that were saying the same thing. This album is a classic. That album only turned 10 years old a few weeks ago, and people have been calling it a classic for the longest time. What do you mean five years? I remember hearing the listening by Little Brother. I didn't wait five years for, for, for me to go out and say it was a classic. Now, that's not to say that my word is final. My word is not gospel. My word is not law. But sometimes, sometimes as a, as a seasoned, experienced listener, sometimes you just know. Like, listen, you literally just know. Like, it, 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 music isn't always a science. It's a feeling. But you turn it into a science when you have this list of criteria that doesn't make any sense. I didn't wait five years to call In The Rough by Diamond District a classic. When I heard it, I'm like, oh, this is, this, is, this is different. This feels different, man. After a few months, after a year or two, I thought, you know what? Yeah, this is a classic album. Same thing with Below The Heavens from Blue and Exile. As soon as I heard it, I had that internal conversation with myself. I said that this album is a classic. And guess what? Most people would agree. I'm right. The list also had, um, for an album to be a classic, it has to have top-notch lyricism throughout. Okay, 
It's debatable. Here's why I'm going to debunk that theory personally, right? I think it's, it's, uh, it's widely agreed that group home, yeah, weren't the best lyricists, okay? And we say they weren't the best lyricists. They weren't totally awful. But, you know, if you think about who Premier, who Premier's worked with, who he was working with during that time, who he's worked with since, you know, who he's worked with throughout the years. Group home don't necessarily come high on the list, okay? So, my question to you. If an album has to have top, uh, top-notch lyricism throughout, how do you explain Living Proof being a classic album? Because that doesn't necessarily have top, top-notch, lyricism, top-notch lyricism throughout. Group home are on most of the songs. It's their album. When people talk about that album, and you know, you can say this is unfair, but most of the time, most of the uh, the plaudits and all and all the praise is about the production. If an album has to have top notch lyricists throughout, how do we explain Living Proof being a classic album? I would argue street level as well. Um, I love the beat nuts, by the way. Let me clarify. I love, I love. I love the beat nuts. But when I listen to the beat nuts, particularly the beat nuts after street level, it's mostly for the production. The guest features and all that really carry carry their albums, in my opinion, in terms of the lyricism side. But I love their production. But I'm going to apply the same argument to street level, man. Like, if if an album has to have um, top-notch lyricism throughout, apart from fashion, like, how do you explain why the beat nuts have multiple classics? They've even said it themselves. They're not rappers' rappers. You know, they're nuts about the beats. They're all about the production. So how do you explain that, okay? The reason why I don't think you need to have um, all these rules and five years and all that kind of stuff, if I was to apply it to wrestling, yeah? When Christian Cage, yeah? You know him as Christian from Edge and Christian. So when Christian left the WWE and he went to TNA, I think this mid-2000s, mid I can't remember exactly what year, he called himself the instant classic, okay? The same thing applies in hip-hop music too. There are albums that are classics that you don't realise are classics until much later on, okay? But there's also those albums that you realise are classics straight away. When um when Illmatic was released, you know, from what I can gather, there were there were lots of people who heard the album before that and they're like, yo, this album's a classic. When it comes out, it's going to be a classic. Um, I'm pretty sure that the, the team, I think the Mind Squad, who reviewed the album over at The Source, don't quote me on that because I could be wrong, but whoever reviewed it at The Source... Um, they had that album months prior to it actually being released. And the word on the street was, yeah, this is a classic. I learned that through Dar Adams. Shout out to Dar Adams. Um, I wasn't outside when Illmatic came out um, and I heard it later on. But from what I can gather from people who were, who were outside, people who were there, people who can tell you what was going on at the time, people knew that Illmatic was going to be a classic. Instant classics, yes, there's loads of them. Um, Illmatic, Ready to Die. Uh, the blueprint. What else have we got in terms of instant classic? There's a whole list of them. Just go on the internet. Look, do your do your Googles and and you know do some cross referencing, do some research. And people, yeah, um, muddy waters, instant classic. Enter the thirty six chambers. Yeah, these are some of the obvious ones. But there's loads of them. But you can also have those classics that are seen as classics over time. Over time. So, um, if I refer to the source a few years ago, they went back and they re-rated certain albums. Certain albums that had got four mics four and a half mics and they went back and said you know what with a bit of reflection over time you know we realized that okay these albums are classics albums like the infamous albums like ready to die the chronic 2001 
all of those albums were originally rated four and a half and they were given five years later. Um, albums like um, Doggy Style, Reasonable Doubt, they got four mics. They were re-rated five later on. What am I saying? You don't have to wait five years to call an album a classic. However, sometimes you may realize an album is a classic much later. After five years, maybe three years, four years, five years, six years. My point is, stop putting rules where there aren't any and stop overusing the word classic. Everything is not a classic. I said this earlier. Everything is not a classic. It's perfectly fine to just have a really good album. Number six on my, on my list of things that I hate about hip-hop Twitter. Stan culture. Okay? Coming on the timeline and just blind face arguing about your favourite albums and your favourite artists and why these people are God's gift to man. It's a waste of time. It's, it's, quite, it's quite uncomfortable to watch, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest. And those are birds in my garden, by the way. Um, I just wanted to be one with nature today. Um, it's quite uncomfortable to, to watch, you know. We, we're all fans of someone or something, okay? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with um, supporting and championing the people you like. I'm all for it. I'm an independent artist, man. I strongly believe if there is an artist, a, a platform or a person, or, you know, it doesn't have to be a celebrity. Maybe they're just someone who people don't really know about and you just want to support what they do and you want to champion them, that's fine. But it doesn't mean that you have to blindly defend everything said person does, right? Again, I'm a big, big, massive wrestling fan, okay? To me, in my opinion, Bret Hitman Hart is the greatest wrestler of all time. One of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time. Great storyteller. He's influenced me and he's impacted me in ways that, you know, people would, would not believe. Like, he's, a, he's probably one of the biggest influences on my music. However... Me being a massive Bret Hart fan doesn't mean I can't critique certain things about Bret Hart as a wrestler. For example, he wasn't the best talker on the microphone. He wasn't. You know, he said in a, he said in a documentary that um, he had to start wearing glasses because his eyes would dart around and he couldn't concentrate because he wasn't comfortable on camera and he wasn't comfortable on the microphone. Now, he got better over time particularly um, when he turned heel in 97 and he could basically talk from the heart and kind of bring, you know, blur the whole lines between, um, he could blur the line between, you know, reality in, 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 in terms of what was happening in the world and what was going on in wrestling and how um, our opinions and views as wrestling fans was changing and how we started to cheer the bad guy. But, you know, when you talk about talkers on the microphone in the wrestling world, you know, you got The Rock, Ric Flair, Raven, Jake Roberts, but Bret Hart wasn't great, but I'm still a fan of him. You don't have to blindly champion everything. It's okay to critique someone. It's okay to critique something, but as long as your critique comes with some kind of thought and some kind of rationale, it's totally fine, okay? It's fine. Number seven on my list of reasons why I hate hip-hop Twitter, okay? Everyone is a critic, yeah? Yeah? Everyone is a critic. It's way too centered. And when I say it, I'm talking about hip hop Twitter. It's way too centered around rank rankings and ratings than it is about the music. Okay. You've got people on here talking about, um, you know, for example, a few weeks ago, West Side Gone, he announced his new album, uh, Fly God is an Awesome God Part 2. People started talking about, oh, why is Conway not on it? Oh, oh my God, why Conway's not on it? Oh, is it beef? Oh man, have they fallen out? I'm just like, 
Why would you come to such conclusions and start making such assumptions based on a track list? It's just a track list. And also, they're not always on each other's albums. West Side Gun wasn't on um, No One Mourns the Wicked. Benny wasn't on it. Like, why do you come to such uh, assumptions about a track list or from a track list or decide whether an album is good or bad based on a track list? Why do you have to be a critic all the time? Why can't you just... It's almost like going to a restaurant, right? And you're going to be like, oh, you know, uh, the meat wasn't cooked too properly. Or, you know, the meat was, uh, it was, uh, it was overcooked. Or it wasn't cooked enough. And my vegetables didn't have enough bite in it. And you know what? I didn't get a tall enough glass of mango lassie. Okay, they may be valid criticisms. But you can't, imagine you can't cook, right? And you're criticizing everyone else's food. Most of you, most of you who have the most critique, you cannot even make a decent song. This is just me saying I don't care who I offend. You cannot make a decent song, yeah? I see a lot of people talking about so-and-so is a bad beat picker. Beat picker, um, and we're not talking about so-and-so, Nas. He gets that critique often. Is it fair? I don't know. Um, to me, he's not the worst, Eminem is. But um, yeah, he's another person they champion on hip-hop Twitter all the time. Supposedly, if, you're, if you don't like Eminem, you're a racist. But anyway, Nas is a bad beat picker. You know what's funny? So many of the people that said that Nas is a bad beat picker, when the Nas Air album came out, which is absolute trash, yeah? The first song they were talking about they like was Cup Shot the Kid, Cup Shot the Kid. I'm like, that song is awful. And that's what let me know I should never let any of you near my albums. You're not coming to the studio with me. I don't want to hear your opinion on what you think is a good beat or a good song. Because if Nas picks bad beats and that's the song you like, nah. I can't trust you. I don't believe you. You need more people. Um, yeah. Wow, that's the list. I've got a couple of other things that I want to talk about as well. Um, Hip-hop Twitter. I'm going to add this to the list. This is number eight. Relies too heavily on cheap formats to promote discussion, yeah? It's like no one knows how to have um, a debate. Like, you can have a friendly debate. You can share ideas. You, you can you can exchange thoughts and you know you can you can share ideas and opinions and perspectives there's 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 nothing wrong with that to me I think it's good but it's why why does everything need to be an argument why does everything need to be an argument if I come on my on my Twitter now or, or my you know everyone's using this word I think it's going to be one of the words that end up getting overused but if I come on my platform and I say hieroglyphics is the best uh, oh I say no forget forget that one um, souls of mischief is the best rap group of all time. Someone would come in and say, nah, De La Soul. Okay, that's your opinion. But you know what would make this even more fun? If you said to me, I think De La Soul are the best rap group of all time, and here's why I think they're the best rap group of all time. I'm more, I'm more prone to want to engage in a conversation with you because then I could end up learning new things from you. Do you get what I mean? Everything doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be a debate. It doesn't have to be about one-upmanship. Twitter as a whole, and particularly hip-hop Twitter, to me, it's just like a massive room with people shouting and just wanting to be heard. Too many one-way conversations are happening, and that's because we have pulpits in our pockets now, and I hate it. The last thing I want to talk about, um, celebrating albums every year. We don't need to do it. We really don't. I know in, in the real world, we celebrate our birthdays every year, and that's cool. Um, we celebrate anniversaries every year, and that's cool too. But how much more are we going to celebrate Illmatic? Serious question. Like, how, how much more? 
what more can we glean about Illmatic at this particular point in 2020? Like, in four years' time, just four years, Illmatic is going to be 30 years old, okay? 30 years old, and I think we should celebrate it. Me, personally, I think anniversary should be every five to ten years. And the reason why I say five to ten years, and I know before I said you shouldn't put time limits on things in terms of calling albums classic. However, every five to ten years, that will give you a chance to kind of glean some new information and, you know, look at new stories and have new perspectives on things. But I'm getting tired of celebrating um, anniversaries every year, man. I'm tired of it, man. Like, at this point, we know Illmatic and Midnight Marauders, The Chronic, um... Three feet high and rising. Um, what I need to let me mention a southern album. What's a good southern album? That's a classic. Um, Riding Dirty, UGK, for example. We know these albums are classics. We don't have to celebrate them every year. It gets boring, and what's particularly boring, and this happens on hip hop Twitter. We just post album anniversaries because it's content. We don't even try to offer any new perspectives or any thoughts about the music or how the album was made. Like, it's just, you post the album cover, you post a JPEG, 20 years ago, this album came out. And what's even worse is that most of the release dates are wrong. Most of the release dates are wrong. I remember reaching out to a very uh, popular platform saying, um, I think they put the um, Black Star album up on the wrong date. Um, I think off the top of my head, it's September. It came out on the same day as September 28th, um, but I'll need to double check that. It came out on the same day as um, Hard Knock Life, Aquemini, uh, Foundation by Brand Nubian, and The Love Movement by um, A Tribe Called Quest, um, one of the greatest release dates of all time. However, someone put the date of the Black Star album, it was either a month before or a month after. I reached out to them and I said, hey, you know, just politely, I said, listen, you, you've got that date wrong. Um, I was never acknowledged. It was never changed. And what happened? The following year, they celebrated the anniversary on the incorrect date again. We don't have to celebrate every year. It's really, it's really, really not necessary. Unless you're going to bring something new and valid to the table. But, you know, I'm all for celebrating the classics. But, you know, whilst we keep celebrating um, the same albums every year, there's some really great new albums that continue to get overlooked. Yeah? Um, last thing. Last thing I want to touch on, and this was one of the rebuttals um, from someone when I was going in on the timeline about why I hate hip-hop Twitter. How can you be in hip-hop Twitter, Chris, but hate hip-hop Twitter? My response is this. There is a song by the Cross Movement. It's called In, Not Of. And they talk about how as Christian MCs and being a Christian hip-hop group, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. I apply the same thing to hip-hop Twitter. I'm in hip-hop Twitter, but I'm not of it. I don't subscribe to those things that I've mentioned in this episode, right? Yes, I'm an MC. Yes, I'm a passionate hip-hop fan. I'm an enthusiast. I'm not an authority. I could have this all wrong. I'm just saying how I feel, right? But just because I'm seen as a part of something or I'm a part of something doesn't mean that I can't critique it. If anything... It means that I'm in a better position to critique it because I'm a living and active contributor to said community or said movement or said culture. So are you saying because I'm a part of hip hop Twitter that I shouldn't critique it? So who should critique it? People who aren't a part of it? How does that make any sense? 
Like, how does that make any sense? Um, imagine there was, um, what's it called? I don't know. Um, seamstress and tailor Twitter, okay? Imagine me as someone who has no experience and extremely limited knowledge about being a seamstress or making any type of clothing. Imagine I went on the timeline and started critiquing that community. You'd look at me like I'm crazy. But if someone who is a seamstress and has extensive knowledge about tailoring and making clothes were to come and say, oh, you know what? What I don't like about my community or what I don't like about my online community is ABC. It adds a lot more weight and rationale and gravitas to the argument. So when people tell me I can't uh, critique hip-hop Twitter, look, man, be quiet, man. Shut up, man. Look, you're talking foolishness. You are talking foolishness, right? I'm not here to critique everyone, and I'm not I'm not an authority, and I keep saying it because you lot are sensitive. You're going to be like, who is he to talk? Who is he to talk? What's he talking about? And you're going to come with your passive-aggressive foolishness. You're probably going to... um. Someone actually told me I shouldn't do this episode because people are going to um, give my podcast bad ratings. Um, I might be giving you the idea by just mentioning it. But you know what? Sometimes certain things need to be said. I know there are people out there who feel the exact same way as me. Why I hate hip-hop Twitter, the list is as follows. We're just going to recap and then I'm going because my mouth is dry and my knee is hurting. Number one, anonymity. Two, absolutes. Not everything is a classic or underrated. Three, one got to go. No, one does not have to go. You go. Number four, hot takes. Your hot takes are crazy. Stop it. Number five, silly rules. Stop making rules where there are none. Just enjoy the music. Six, stand culture. You don't need to stand for people. They have marketing budgets. And some of the artists you are standing for do not know or even care that you exist. Number seven, everyone is a critic. You don't need to be rearranging people's track lists and coming up with your conspiracy th- your conspiracy theories because of a track list or a certain song is missing or someone's not included. Wait until you hear the music. Number eight, cheap formats to promote discussion or engagement. It's trash. And that whole thing with the um where you put the uh the artist with the, the arrow and the other artist, it's whack. Stop it. Leave it alone. And that's all I have to say today. Like I said, man, I'm not going to be mixing or mastering this episode. There's not going to be any music. This is the Breaking Atoms podcast. This is this is what we do. And um, I stand alone. These thoughts are mine. Summit has not heard this episode. Um, and a lot of people are going to agree and a lot of people are going to disagree. I stand on my 10 toes. This is how I feel. And um, yeah, I still hate hip hop Twitter.